Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today is Tuesday, October 24th. I'm your host, Stephen Overly. As a tech reporter these days, frankly, I'm inundated with AI events. Summits, forums, hearings, dialogues. Even today in Washington, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is hosting a bunch of industry and civil society advocates to talk about the risks of AI. It's the second in a series of however many similar gatherings. It was actually head of Politico's own AI summit last month that I met today's guest, Tom Liu. He's the general counsel and head of governance for Google's big AI research lab, Google DeepMind. Tom has been making this AI event circuit for the better part of a year, meeting with officials who are trying to determine when and how to regulate such a new technology. On the show today, Tom tells me how Google is answering open questions about risk and responsibility. So we actually first met about a month ago um, at a dinner ahead of Politico's AI summit. You know, there's no shortage of these sort of AI dialogue, summit, forum, gatherings. How many of these kinds of things are you going to these days? <laughs> there is a lot of activity uh, happening in the AI space. If you look, you know, even, let's say, 10 months ago, uh, the conversation was just so different at the time. I think, you know, what we've seen, I think, has actually been very encouraging, uh, both in terms of uh, the kind of governments that are getting involved the companies, the kind of collaboration that's happening, uh, even things like uh, what we're seeing with the UK Global uh, AI Safety Summit that's going to be happening in, in a few weeks. Um, I think that's all, you know, a really, really helpful sign that, hey, we have the right set of actors talking about, you know, the whole range of opportunities with risk around AI. I think that's a, it's a very healthy thing. And so, I mean, like you said, 10 months ago, you know, we weren't even having as many of these conversations. Do you feel like they're they're moving the conversation forward, or, or are we just sort of having the same conversations uh, again and again? Um, I definitely think the conversations are progressing in a positive and productive direction. Um, and you see this happening both in the kind of external, uh, you know, kind of drumbeat of summits and, you know, convenings. And I think what's really helpful is that you have a broader set of stakeholders that are engaging in the conversation. You know, it's not just the tech companies. It's not just a small set of government actors. It's a really a holistic conversation that I think you're seeing uh, that's, that's being put together. I think, for example, what the White House did in July with their set of industry commitments was a really helpful first step to bring together the Frontier AI Labs. I think what you're seeing uh, with the UK focusing on the set of Frontier model risks and the kind of particular set of uh, uh, things that come out of those kinds of models is a helpful thing. I think what you're seeing at the G7 uh, with a much broader set of countries and considerations is, is a very helpful thing well. So I, I do think, you know, that the conversation is progressing along ways that, again, even, you know, uh, in the short span of, you know, 10 to 12 months has really progressed in a way to involve both the shorter term and the longer term risks. And also, crucially, I think the opportunities. You work for Google DeepMind, which is part of Google, a huge company. You know, when you go into these forums and the, these conversations, whether it's the one coming up in the UK or, or you know, the, the meetings that you all have had with the White House, what is the role that you see for yourselves in that conversation? Yeah, there's a few, a few, I think, really important things that I think companies like ours can bring to the table. The first is just to make 
the kind of relevant policymakers and, and stakeholders aware of what is the state of technology? What are we seeing at the frontier? How quickly is this uh, technology developing? What are the kinds of opportunities that we see that uh, maybe those who aren't as close to the technology you know, can't see? One of the things that I think in particular Google DeepMind is focused on, for example, is applying AI to scientific discovery, right? And uh, we have, you, you probably heard of AlphaFold, you know, a technology that is now being used to help structural biologists around the world predict the structure of proteins. Um, right. And making people aware, look, this is just the, the kind of tip of the iceberg in terms of the kinds of impacts that we can use AI for. So that's one thing. Bring to the, to the table the kind of scientific technical awareness of the opportunities of the technology. And then at the same time, making people aware of how we think about risk mitigation and governance and how to make sure we're developing this AI responsibly, right? So a lot of the folks um, who haven't worked in tech companies before don't necessarily have a sense of how internally uh, these technologies are being developed and what kinds of considerations we think about before we release the technology. And so giving policymakers a sense of what that looks like internally so we can then externalize what those best practices could be you know, more broadly across the industry. Can you give me an example of that? You know, what are the kinds of things you tell lawmakers that, you know, here, here's what we do internally to, like, make sure this stuff is safe? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I mentioned AlphaFold. Uh, I'll give you, you can use that as a case study. So AlphaFold um, is a technology that uh, predicts essentially the protein structure, 3D protein structure, uh, based just on the amino acid sequence. Um, and, you know, the historically that took a single PhD student his entire, you know, kind of length of his PhD to figure out how to predict the structure of one protein, right? And so AlphaFold, what it did was computationally transform that into a way where now we've released 200 million protein structures, basically, you know, every protein known to science out there. And so a crucial decision we had to make was, you know, should we be releasing, you know, these kind of wide set of proteins uh, to the world? Uh, and what are the kinds of ethical and safety considerations that go into that? And so what we did was we had a very robust set of conversations, both internally, and we consulted, I think, over 30 um, you know, scientific experts in biosecurity and, and other fields, Nobel Prize winning level you know, experts to really get a sense of what are the potential risks if we do this and what are the potential upsides. Um, and we did a rigorous internal evaluation and the overwhelming consensus was that the benefits of open sourcing and releasing this technology to the world um, vastly outweighed the downsides in doing so. And that's just kind of a one case study, but that's the kind of thing that we do. We think through what are the kinds of different risk vectors that the technology presents? What are the kinds of mitigations we cut in place? What's the best expert thinking on this? And then we make a kind of calculated decision to make sure that they live up to the, our principles around releasing technology that's decided beneficial. Well, there's a skepticism that I'm sure you can imagine um, of how kind of clear-eyed companies can be in making those sort of ethical safety decisions when there's also financial considerations, right? Companies like Google develop AI with sort of the financial benefits in mind, too. How do you address that skepticism when you hear it? Yeah, I think, you know, the important thing here is to index also on something that the White House actually made very clear in its commitments, which is, you know, Tech companies can't just grade their own homework. They have to also involve trusted external parties to red team to evaluate. Uh, and that's what we did, you know, without full, we brought in a set of external ex experts to do so. And I would say, you know, a, a big part just fundamentally about what drives innovation 
um, in the space, you know, in the valley generally around AI, there are there are obviously commercial incentives, and commercial incentives I think are a very powerful driver of innovation. Um, and so I don't necessarily see the conflict between you know kind of commercialization and safety and ethics as being kind of a, an inherent intractable conflict. I think the key thing is to make sure we have the right kinds of you know, third-party independent testing and, and red teaming that, you know, we've committed to, for example, through the White House commitments. Right. Having covered tech for as long as I have, I know you've been in, in tech uh, a long time too. With social media, for instance, you hear similar arguments where companies say, you know, it is in our financial interest to have safe platforms um, to not, you know, give space to disinformation, propaganda, etc. Um, and yet that, that stuff does still exist on those platforms, right? Um, it's not a problem that's been solved. So I think the question becomes, what risks will companies tolerate for the sake of profit? Yeah. And I think what, what we, you know, we've been very clear to say that, um, you know, AI is uh, too important not to regulate and too important not to regulate well. Uh, and I think from our perspective, uh, we are very much in favor of a kind of risk-based proportionate approach uh, to regulation. Uh, and, you know, for example, if you have use cases where AI is being used in self-driving cars or drugs or, you know, these kind of high-risk applications, they certainly should be regulated in a very robust way with kind of appropriate safety thresholds. And, you know, then you go to the other side of the spectrum, let's say low-risk applications like let's just say like games or music recommenders and, and what so forth. I think the approach there should be, you know, a much lighter weight sense of, of, of a regulatory uh, touch. So, you know, we are very much in favor of that kind of risk-based proportionate approach. But I think at the, at the end of the day, you know, again, it's about setting the right appropriate threshold based on the application that you have um, in mind. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. You know... I was reading a research paper that Google DeepMind recently came out with sort of a framework or, or model, if you will, for, for assessing that risk. What role specifically does a company like Google DeepMind play in that uh, assessment of risk of AI? Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, let me talk a bit about the paper which just came out um, this week, and I'll get to your question about kind of what the shared responsibilities are um, among the different actors. So the paper, uh, it's a great paper uh, with some of our ethics researchers here who looked at kind of the, the overall uh, safety and um, ethics evaluation landscape. And what they found is that uh, currently a lot of the evaluations are focused at kind of a single layer around you know, particular models capabilities. Uh, okay. But what we actually need to do is to broaden that out and to evaluate not just the capabilities of that narrow specific model, but also add on layers around how, for example, humans interact with that model in the real world. So that's kind of the second layer. And then the third layer is right more systemic impacts. Once the model and system is being deployed you know, in society at scale, what are the kinds of broader um, considerations around social institutions and labor markets and, and you know the environment that kind of comes into play. So we need to have a kind of multi-layered approach to evaluating safety and risk in the space. And to your question around what's the 
kind of respective responsibilities of companies versus other actors in the system. I think what we really want to see is to see, you know, where are the comparative uh, expertise levels um, at and, and how do we, you know, kind of distribute that across the system. So, for example, on the capability side, AI developers, I think, are very well placed to interrogate the capabilities of the systems they produce. They're the best position because they know the technical details and they know how to mitigate those. Then when you talk about the human interaction and the kind of UX and, and how humans are actually using this in the real world, the application developers and, and, and the ones who are actually you know, launching the products, and then also uh, the folks who maybe have a sense of you know, how, how these kinds of things are actually being interfaced with, with broader institutional structures have a role to play. And then finally, these kind of systemic risks, things around labor markets, social institutions, that's where entities like governments and think, tank, think tanks and others that are going to have more of that holistic view are more uniquely positioned. So I think it's that the bottom line here is think it's, it's you know, this, uh, the use and safety of these systems is really a shared responsibility and priority really across developers, across public actors. And, you know, we really have to work together to build this kind of, uh, you know, a, a robust and thriving evaluation ecosystem for these systems. Got it. Well, I appreciate that explanation because the the I read the paper and it was very dense and chart filled, and I I think I understood it. And so your your explanation helped uh, helped confirm that. Uh, you know, one point that you you just mentioned there, and it is mentioned in the this paper as well, uh, is the assessment of systemic risk, which I, I think is what a lot of the conversation lately has been focused on when it comes to to AI risks. Certainly here in Washington, one question I came away with is. Why don't companies have a bigger role in kind of assessing, you know, the risks of the systemic risks around the AI that they are creating? I don't think it's a matter of, you know, uh, an either or. I think what we're looking at is just, you know, the comparative expertise and ability and capacity to measure that. So, for example, you know, I used to work in the government. I, I was uh, a the uh, deputy general counsel and acting general counsel at the White House Office of Management and Budget, right? And in sitting in that kind of a role, you have a lot more information from the agencies around you know these broader impacts that are happening across you know at that level, kind of across the government, right? You have the ability to monitor, hey, what's the, what's this uh, kind of trend doing with respect to unemployment? What's this trend doing with respect to you know general health insurance rates, for example? So you just when you're sitting in government, you have the kind of um, capabilities to monitor and to uh, you know kind of come up with the the right set of policies and things to think through at the kind of more systemic level. Now companies have a role to play in the sense that they also have you know specific pieces of insights and relevant uh, data that could contribute to that. But I think, you know, from a from the perspective of addressing the systemic risks, I think the principal responsibility really has to be at that broader public actor level, uh, informed by the, the kind of the other stakeholders in the system. And so then what's the, the, the sort of feedback loop, if you will, right? So if, you know, uh, one of those, if the government or, or some sort of external party does identify a systemic risk, I mean, do they, is it also their responsibility to address that and, and sort of correct that? Or does that come back to, you know, AI developers to, to fix? So it's a good question. So maybe I'll give you one example. So uh, let's say misinformation, right? If misinformation where a lot of people are concerned about deep fakes and AI and also the systemic risks, obviously on the elections that are coming up in many countries, I think something like 2 billion plus people are going to the polls next year, right? Um, and so... If it's the case that, you know, the, the 
kind of systemic risks around misinformation and deep fakes are ones that actually start manifesting themselves and governments and others are are really you know kind of uh, identifying this as a, as a as a kind of significant systemic risk then certainly the feedback loop should go back to developers and say, hey, you need to be doing more to prevent XYZ risk and, and being able to kind of address these. I think what you're seeing is some of the companies, including, for example, Google and Google DeepMind, trying to get out ahead of that. Uh, so, for example, Google has already announced that they're going to require all political ads that use AI-generated uh, features to you know, have a, a prominent disclosure. Uh, Google has also uh, been uh, working on a technology called SynthID, which we recently rolled out, which um, basically uh, provides a watermark uh, that is a robust watermark that identifies whether something's been generated by one of our AI image generation systems. And so I do, to your point, I, I do think that that feedback loop is a critical one where we have the ability to you know, take what we're seeing and what governments are, are seeing as big systemic risk factors and feeding that back in to developers so they can address those risks that the governments are identifying as particularly high-risk ones. Got it. Um, well, one, one question I have, and I, I probably raised this at the, the dinner we attended because I asked this question, I feel like, in every room I'm in these days. And that's, uh, you do when it comes to, like, liability and enforcement of any sort of safety measures, how that that piece of the equation shakes out. Because I feel like, I, I guess I I find it difficult to have conversations about, around, you know, safety and responsibility without bringing in questions of liability. And so, you know, maybe the initial question for you here is sort of what, what kind of liability do AI creators have for, you know, upholding these safety standards or addressing some of the risks that, that do arise? Yeah. So um, one, maybe I'll step back and, and we'll talk a little bit about how kind of the, the safety you know, apparatus should be enforced. So you can think about it, I think about it kind of ex-ante and ex-post. So ex-ante, uh, let's say before a product uh, is released into the market, oftentimes for higher risk products, you'll have you know, a set of regulations, right? And the regulations will say you have to be, you know, um, demonstrate this level of safety in order to do that. Uh, you have to meet these, these kinds of metrics. And then after you do that, you can then release it to the market. So FDA, for example, before you, they approve a drug, they often have this, you know, kind of set of things you have to go through for clinical trials and, and there's a whole set of metrics there. And so after that is, uh, after those regulations are established and you launch a product, then ex post, after a product's in the market, and let's say it causes harm to somebody, then there's liability that kicks in, uh, whether through lawsuits or regulatory enforcement actions. And there, I think we have to find out kind of what the right balance is between the kind of ex-ante and ex-post balance of regula- regulation versus liability. And then to your question more specifically about kind of where liability should uh, should lie in the kind of supply chain of developers, deployers, users, etc. We already have, I think, quite a quite a robust set of Kind of existing laws that uh, allocate liability. So tort law, for example, um, uh, has some some uh, principles already around kind of who the best place actor is to avoid that particular accident going forward. And they usually uh, place the liability on that actor. So for example, um, if you are a deployer of a technology, uh, but you really don't have control over that technology because you just kind of like purchased it off the shelf and you've incorporated it into your product, usually what tort law will be able to do is say, hey, you actually are not in the best position to avoid that harm going forward. We're going to place liability on the person who actually you know, developed that and had to design defect in that particular apparatus. 
How applicable, and uh, I feel like we've, we ventured into a legal lecture, which is super informative, but I, I, and I'm not a tort law expert, but, you know, I, I've reported a bit on internet law, you know, for instance, and one that immediately comes to mind is internet liability, you know, what we refer to colloquially as Section 230. Do you see that factoring in here, too? Are there, are there lessons from that that should be applied when we think about AI and liability? So Section 230 uh, was a law that essentially, um, you know, protected the ability for platforms to use to display user-generated content uh, without having to kind of be responsible for everything that uh, you know was posted in that content. I think with certain forms of generative AI, um, where you know they're not just hosting content, but they're actually you know producing content and speaking and publishing content as you know kind of first-party authors, if you will. It doesn't seem like Section 230 is kind of directly applicable in that context. Um, I think there is a broader lesson though around you know Section 230 is really meant to kind of strike and figure out what the right balance was to ensure that these kind of nascent platforms can still be engines of innovation without saddling them with, you know, tremendous amounts of liability or things that they can't control. Again, going back to the theme of who has control over uh, things uh, and, and kind of where to place liability. So I do think as we think through liability for these systems going forward, we want to make sure that balance between, you know, making sure we have the ability to kind of innovate and n- not kind of over-index on putting liability on any particular actor um, is is kept in mind and not kind of outweighed by, you know, the plethora of, of risks that are out there. So we have to strike that right balance. And I think, you know, a combination of, again, courts and regulators will have to sort through those things in the years to come. We do have this safety summit coming up in the UK, which, you know, I've interviewed some folks from the UK for the podcast who have said, so their goal is not to create, you know, one regulation or, or piece of legislation that all countries can sign on to. Um, but clearly, they are convening all of these countries, right, to talk particularly about risks from frontier AI models. What would you like to see kind of come out of that meeting? Um, you know, what would what would be in, you know, Google DeepMind's sort of ideal view of some sort of outcome here? Yeah, I think from our perspective, we'd love to see three things. Uh, the first is a shared understanding of the opportunities and the risks presented by these kind of frontier AI models, right? These there's tremendous upsides from this technology, but people have to really trust the technology. And so we really need to have a shared understanding across the board of both the kind of near and the long-term risks around AI. So that's number one. The second, as I alluded to earlier, is that we really want to make sure that there is international coordination. Uh, and ideally, we want to have a kind of globally consistent approach to AI governance. Uh, and so our hope is that you know the baseline that the White House set back in July with their industry commitments is really going to form an international baseline um, and that we can hopefully use that to you know, make sure we're, we're developing this, this technology responsibly across the board on a global basis. And the third uh, is really um, more of a research issue. Is we would really love to see this be a catalyst to prioritize and progress research on some really important work that needs to be done around safety and ethics evaluations and benchmarks um, and mitigation. So I would love to see, you know, coming out of the summit, a real emphasis on prioritizing and progressing research around those safety and ethics evaluations. Excellent. Well, listen, thank you uh, for joining us today on Politico Tech. Terrific. Thanks so much, Stephen. That's all for today's Politico Tech. Don't miss Politico's event later today. 
fabs, feds, and the future of the industry. It starts at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, and you can still register to attend virtually at politico.com. Music in today's show comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll see you here tomorrow.